This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. This morning I want to start talking to you about something that I think a lot of Christians know not too much about. I want to start talking about Christian character. Christian character. You may have some ideas about what character is, but if you don't, I went to the dictionary and uh, got a definition for you. And the Oxford English Dictionary tells me that character is the collective qualities or characteristics, especially moral and mental, that distinguish a person or a thing from another. I also had a look at what some people, and some of them lived some time back, uh, had to say about character. I I, I searched Christian uh, bookshelves to see what was written about character, and I didn't find too much. Interesting, isn't it? And yet, I'll tell you that without character, you're not going anywhere in your Christian experience. So we're going to deal with this, and we'll just see how long the Lord takes so that we really get some understanding. Dwight L. Moody, who was one of the greatest preachers of his, of his century, probably ever, um, late in life, got baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is what he said. Character is what you are in the dark. Channing said, the great hope of society is individual character. Fraud said, human improvement is from within, outwards. It's not cosmetic. It's not the veneer, it's not the facade, it's not the thing that we put up because we want people to be impressed with us, but being genuine. You know, the vast majority of the body of Christ wear masks. We've got a mask for Sunday morning. We've got a mask for praise and worship. We've got a mask for a prayer meeting. Okay? So all these faces bring confusion. Who's the real you? Some Christians don't know who they are because they think that I have to live the Christian experience by doing a lot of things and not doing a whole lot of things. And the Christian experience, in actual fact, is literally that it is a lifestyle. It's that which is from within outward. And if we use that as a gauge, we have to say that not a whole lot of Christians have got life. Okay, well, we'll just, you just think about it. Gotha said, talent is nurtured in solitude. Character is formed in the stormy billows of the world. Jean-Paul Richter said, A man never discloses his own character so clearly as when he describes another's. Jack Miner said, A man's reputation is the opinion people have of him. His character is what he really is. The one that I love the best is is the last one. That's why I put it there. (laughs) Thomas Macaulay, and he's not related to Ray Macaulay. I don't know where he came from. I don't know who Thomas Macaulay was, but he said something quite profound here. He said this, The measure of a man's real character is what he would do if he knew that he never would be found out. If you knew you never would be found out, how would you live? What would you do? What would you not do? Would you live the same way as you live when you've got a hundred people watching you? That's character. 
Now, character then is not what people think of me. That's reputation. Character is who I am when nobody's watching. That's character. And Christian character reflects who I am as God wants me to be. Christian character is displayed, an aspect, a facet of it, is displayed when you've rushed into the bank and you've cashed your check and they've given you the change and you get out to the car and you find that she's given you $5 more than you should have gotten. Your character is about to be tested. Don't pray for the computers to fail in 2000. (laughs) That's lack of character because if you're thinking by their failing, you're going to have your debts cancelled. Your debts are not cancelled because the computer failed. Your debts are cancelled because the creditor called you and said, we now no longer require you to meet this obligation. That's when you are released from discharging that debt. It's like the person who goes along to the bank, has a look at their bank statement. The bank's made, a, made a, uh, an error of $300 in the client's favor. You've got $300 more in your bank than you should have. And you go out and spend the money that you don't have, that doesn't belong to you, because the bank made a mistake. That's lack of character. We'll touch on these from time to time. I know they inspire you. (laughs) As a believer, I'm born with purpose. God's got a purpose and a plan for my life. It's my destiny. And our destiny, in actual fact, is very simply put in Scripture, it's being conformed to the image of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit and the Word of God should be working away at the rough edges of our lives until that conformity to the image of Jesus is complete. You cannot change yourself. You submit to the changes that God wants because He's identified areas and you declare, God, I'm not my own, I'm bought with a price, come and change me. And he will say, okay, Barry, I want you to change over here. What do I do, Lord? And he will tell you what to do. And it may not be in prayer. Believe it or not, it may come off this platform. (laughs) Just nudge your neighbor. Ask your neighbor, are you buckled down? (laughs) Because you see, as as I have a look at character... I ask, I've had to ask myself some very pertinent questions. Uh, I long ago reached a stage, and some of you have come to realize that, I think, I'm not a man pleaser. Um, I'm not here to tickle people's ears. I do want to share truth, and I believe that as truth is embraced, it'll set us free. But you see, uh, what I'm about to share with you may take your breath away. And that's okay. 
not for too long there. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to raise you from the dead. <laughs> but you see, I, I had to look at myself and, and, and I had to sort out what I was called to do. Now, I'm going to give you a revelation. I do not have, close the doors, I do not have an all-consuming desire to see Manassas saved. Well, neither do you. Otherwise, you'd be out there every day. So don't look at me with that tone of voice. <laughs> but you see, your expectation is, hang on, you're a pastor. You should, be, you should have that desire. I don't have that desire. Listen, because it's not my call. I'll show you what my call is. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. I know you're all interested in my call. Ephesians chapter 4, starting to read at verse 8. Wherefore he said when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now swing down to verse 11. And he gave some. Here the gifts are that he has given to mankind. He gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what purpose? Because God has got a purpose in everything that he's doing. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm reading now verse 12. Here comes the purpose for the gifting that he put in the body. This is not the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are the ministry gifts, the ascension gifts that Jesus gave to replace his physical presence in the earth. He was and is still all of these things. He is the ultimate prophet, apostle evangelist, pastor and teacher, the ultimate. He is the model on which we are to model our lives. And as fivefold ministry, he has put a fivefold ministry gifting into the body of Christ. And here comes the purpose for the fivefold ministry. Fivefold ministry does not set one, pe- one person above another. In terms of authority, it does. In terms of responsibility, it does, because not everybody's got the responsibility for growing up the body. Here comes verse 12. For the perfecting, bad word, maturing, better word, the maturing of the saints. Raise your hand if you're a saint. Come on, get get that religious spirit right out of you. You are not an old sinner saved by grace. If you were born again, you were a sinner. You got saved by grace and now you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. You're a saint. If you know the name of the person next to you, say good morning, St. Barbara, St. Peter, St. whatever, St. Wallace, St. John, St. Sandy, St. Neil. See, you're a saint. You're a saint. Word of God says so. For the maturing of the saints. Now don't call them Saint Barbara if their name's not Barbara, okay? You understand that. Okay. okay, now. Why does God want them to mature? So that, here it goes, for the work of the ministry. Mature saints do the work of the ministry. It is not the guy on the platform who has that responsibility. 
I'll tell you, if I have a consuming desire in my heart, it's that every one of you come to maturity in God because you will only have the purpose and plan for your existence revealed to you and realized by you when you come to maturity. You will understand in some greater measure what God purposes and plans to do through you. And maturity is not the result of being able to memorize Scripture. Maturity is not how much you know about the Word of God. Maturity is the ability to take the Word of God and irrespective of what my circumstances are in life, apply the Word of God in my circumstances day by day, situation by situation, and experience overcoming. That's maturity. You're able to take the Word of God having studied and you are proving yourself before God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Able rightly to divide the Word. I know what God says. I know that's not of God. I see God's hand over here. See, and this is part and parcel of what God wants to do. Now, why why does God want to do that? Because the body of Christ is going to reach people. But listen, I'm sure there are people who, like me, have knocked on doors on Thursday nights in order to pass a tract on. I'm not knocking tracts. Don't write me any letters. If you write me a letter, have the courtesy to write on the top corner, this is a tract letter, okay? And I'll throw it away, okay? See, don't waste my time. Because I want you to know, most of what is being done today as evangelistic outreach is dead works. Most Christians today, sorry, just take a big gulp. Just nudge your neighbor and say, I know he's not going to be talking about you. (laughs) Most Christians, I'm sorry to have to say, don't have a testimony. When you go knocking at that door, what are you going to share with people? Well, I got born again 14 years ago. What has God done in your life yesterday? What have you got to point to concerning the faithfulness of God and the overcoming victory of the blood of Jesus in your life yesterday? That's how current your experience needs to be if you're going to go knocking on doors. Because otherwise you've got nothing to share. Nothing. And most Christians do not have a testimony. Once I was lost, now I'm found. Well, that's wonderful. But that happened to you 14 years ago. You mean God's been dormant in your life since then? Whose life have you touched recently? Whose life did you touch this past week? How many people did you lay hands on and get them healed? How many demons did you cast out? Oh, we run away from that because, you know, that's risky living. That's where you're supposed to live. That's called the cutting edge. Okay, well, let's keep going. Let's keep going. We're going to... Okay, now, why does God want us to mature? There was something else I needed to give you there. Let me just hang on one minute. There was something else I needed to give you there. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. Okay. Why does God want us to grow up and mature spiritually? So that we can go and do the work of the ministry. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. A little bit to your left, would you? If you're, if you're in Ephesians there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
Here Paul gives to the church at Corinth three categories of people in the earth. Every person falls into one of these three categories. Every person in the earth. Doesn't matter who they are, where they come from, what, they, what their background is, where they're going to, what their purposes and plans are. Every person falls into one of these three categories. Starting to read at verse 14, he talks about the natural man. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them. He cannot experience the things of the Spirit of God. Because the things of the Spirit of God are spiritually discerned. Here he is talking about a person, the person who never has met Jesus. The person who's never come into a right relationship with God. A person who never has been confronted by the issues of Jesus and committed his life to He is a natural man. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. That's why when you go home and you're so excited about what God is doing and God spoke to you in the meeting, God touched your life and your life has changed. When you get home and you start sharing that with people who don't know Jesus, they're critical of you. Don't be mad with them. They can't see. They're they're living in a dimension that you're not living in any longer. You're seeing things that they're not seeing. You're experiencing things that they're not experiencing. That's called the natural man. Then in the next verse, we've got the second category, the spiritual man. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Uh, For who who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The spiritual man knows exactly what the mind of the Lord is. Jesus didn't walk this earth confused about what God wanted him to do. Jesus wasn't confused about his purpose and his plan. And the spiritual man has come to a place where through fellowship with God and because of relationship that has been developed, he is able to say with confidence, I know exactly where I'm going. Listen, folks, I know why I get up in the morning. I know. I know what my purpose is. It's no good trying to get me hooked in some other purpose. That's not my purpose. I know what my purpose is. My purpose is to help the body come to maturity. Because you see, when the body comes to maturity, out of the mature lives of believers will flow the life of God in manifestation. That's the way that it works. That's why I'm not in favor of let's go knock on doors and get people born again. You've got nothing to bring them. You don't have to knock on doors. All you have to do is get into fellowship with God and cause that fellowship to become super abundant on the inside of you. And out of that super abundance on the inside of you will flow the life that people out there are looking for. Yeah. Well, we've got to go and do this. Who said so? Religious tradition says we've got to reach out because we're not doing anything else, including maturing. Including maturing. See? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We haven't finished yet. Let's get down to chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, here comes the third category, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So the carnal man is a baby in Christ. And there are certain characteristics of carnality. I fed you with milk and not with meat. That's a sign of carnality. Or, let me correct that, that's a sign of babyhood, because you can be a baby and not carnal. 
But the carnal Christian is somebody who should have moved beyond the baby stage and hasn't. So he's grown up and still looks like a baby. See? I fed you with milk and not with meat because up until now you weren't able to take it in and digest it. And now still you're not able to do that. For you are yet carnal. Now here come some signs of carnality. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as mere men? That's what one version says. Walk as mere natural men. You walk just like the guy in the world. Envying, strife. Division, And if you're the cause of it, you're a baby. You're a spiritual baby. Well, you know, when we've got a baby in the natural, I expect that baby to behave in a certain way. The baby can't speak, so I expect the baby to cry. When it is in need, diaper change, food, burping, whatever, okay? I expect the baby to cry. When it cries, I'm not disappointed, I'm expecting it, and I give it the necessary treatment. It needs a pacifier, give it a pacifier. It needs strokes, put it over your shoulder, burp it, make sure you've got a, something over it because it's going to whoops on you, okay? See, I've learned, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, okay? <laughs> I've raised them. And then, you, and, then you, and then you walk it and you pacify it and you put it to sleep and you get the thing settled and, and it's fine. But you know that in two hours, three hours, you're going to have to go through the same routine because it's going to be hungry. It's a baby. It needs attention. But the tragedy in the body of Christ is this. When we have I see the Lord exalted Hallelujah Can you hold my bear while I study the word for just a moment? (laughs) Now. Now. The little baby that we expect to behave a certain way because it's a baby... We are not disappointed about. We are not surprised about. But here is a 31-year-old person who's been born again for 25 years and is behaving like a baby. Would you say there's something wrong with this picture in the natural? In the natural, a 31-year-old? Come on. I've got to have my teddy bear with me. I've got to have my diaper change. Now that's what I want to do with them. 
to all intents and purposes, looking like an adult, but having to be treated like a baby because it still messes its pants. It's got no control. Needs to, it's still on milk. Can't put it on meat. Got to have a pacifier. Got a Bible big enough to choke a donkey. <laughs> Got to have all of this. Listen to me. This is not going to take the world for Jesus. And the churches are full of them. Full of them. Haven't grown up. Got to be looked after all the time. Go with me to Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. Because you see, God wants maturity to come to our lives but God doesn't impose maturity on us. Maturation is process, and it's process that we enter through deciding to commit ourselves to the lifestyle that will produce it. You do not get maturity because you gain information. Because you gain knowledge doesn't mean you are maturing in the things of God. He can sit there and sing, I see the Lord, I see the Lord. He can have a Bible big enough to choke a donkey. He can have Strong's Concordance and everything and know how to access it and read through it. But I want you to know something. If he is not able to have a practical outworking of those things in his life so that he handles the affairs of his life, Himself, eventually. He's not maturing. Always got to have somebody praying with him. Always got to come up and get strokes. Always got to be recognized. And if they don't recognize what I've done, they're offended. You're a baby. You're a baby. You are not mature. Now, verse 19 tells us about maturity. For the earnest expectation of creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now we know that the whole of creation is under the curse. Poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. But the curse also blighted nature. And nature battles, thorns and thistles came up. And God never created them and intended them to be part of what He put in the earth. But they became that. But there is coming a time, according to the Word of God, where creation, groaning under the stress of the weight of the curse of sin and death, is crying out for a manifestation of the sons of God. Now here is the key. We need to understand what God is saying. I believe that all professing Christians are expected by God to form part of this group called the sons of God. 
But unfortunately, most are waiting passively for this to come to pass. And we are responsible for our maturity, not God. He will point out what needs to be attended to, but there is a point beyond which He won't go. You are going to have to do a whole lot of the work yourself. Now that phrase, sons of God, is a key to understanding what God is talking about. Will the whole body be responsible for manifesting and meeting this great expectation of creation? I believe it's God's will. I don't believe it's going to happen. I believe that there are going to be a people who will do it, who are called sons of God. You say, but hang on a minute, I'm a son of God. I don't believe that everybody who is in the kingdom is a son of God the way we're talking about in Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. Because the word therefore son or sons of God is the word in the Greek huios. Now listen very carefully because the word huios emphasizes the relationship of an offspring to its parent especially the expression of character or nature of that parent. So, this is what it's saying. You should look like your dad. You should look like your dad. How do I get to look like my dad? Not just because you were born of him. You get to look like him through spending time with him. See, Uh, Paul uses this word implying that such children, by virtue of their relationship with the Father, will be recognizable by their godlike qualities and characteristics. And it's not me trying to put on an appearance of looking like the Father. It will be a natural consequence flowing out of me because of fellowship that I've established with the Father. Do you understand? Now, contrast what I've said with John chapter 1 and verse 12. I'm sure that you all all are familiar with the scripture. But to as many as received him, to them gave he authority to become, he has this phrase again, sons of God. But the interesting thing about this word, sons, in John chapter 1 and verse 12, is that the word there is not huios. The word is another word, technon. And technon emphasizes the fact of birth, rather than the relationship and its dignity and character. So technon talks about the fact you've been born again. So if you've been born again, you're technon. And everybody starts at technon level. We're born again. But huios is a maturing believer who can only mature not because of the knowledge that you gain, but you mature because of the fellowship that you are establishing with the Father. I get to hear the voice of the Father. There are certain things that characterize Christian maturity. Christians who are mature hear the voice of the Father, identified. There are many voices speaking out in the world today. Many. And amongst them is the voice of the Father. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. How do they know the voice? They know the shepherd. 
So I, uh, here I am and I get to know the Father's voice because I've gotten to know the Father. So when I'm being led by the Spirit of God and there's so much noise going on round about me, there's so much input being made into my life, I've got 15 different ways I can go. God, which way do I go? God's not confused. We're confused because we don't know His voice. And the huios has gotten to know His voice. He is maturing in the things of God. So Romans 8.19 says that it's going to be the huios that are going to bring this release to creation that's crying out. It's not going to be technon. It's not going to be the spiritual baby. It's not going to be the one that always needs attention. It's not going to be the one that goes along and can jump around and do all the things that everybody else can do, but always is seeking attention, needs to be pacified, needs to be burped. It can't get onto red meat. It's got to be fed milk all the time. It's got to have a diaper change regularly. You're a baby. You're a baby. You can't put your life together. Now, I understand this, that if you are a baby, that's okay. Because that's what we expect. But I don't expect that of a 31-year-old, 25 years in the Lord. When an adult comes in dressed like a baby and the dressing isn't outward, it's in terms of what you're requiring, you're a baby. You should be beyond this. Now, bear in mind, some people get born again late in life. So if you've been born again one year, you're still a baby, even though you might be 44 years of age in the natural. Don't think that you're mature. But recognize that you're a baby and expect people to treat you like a baby because we'll feed you and we'll help you grow. But there's coming a time where our expectation is that you're going to grow beyond where you're at. Is this okay? Okay, now, you see, you can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You can serve on committees or even on the executive in the ministry. You can teach in the training center. You can run happy church. You can pray in the Spirit. You can tithe. You can give. You can serve and not have any character. Because none of those things develop character. Outwardly, you can be acknowledged as a good Christian. But my question to you is this. As God looks at you, does God recognize you as a huios or a technon? Are you growing up? Can He entrust to you responsibility? You see, we want to do the works that Jesus did, but we're babies, most of us. You do not take an AK-47 full clip, take off the safety, give it to a kid at three years of age to run around the neighborhood and enjoy yourself. That's irresponsible. God's not irresponsible. God entrusts the incredible power of the kingdom to those who can handle the power. And only mature people can handle the power. You handle it, you get a very, very healthy respect for things that are powerful. Amen? So, and if you're not recognized as a son of God, a huios, an adult son, then I want you to know something. I believe that your religion is vain. Why? Because it doesn't reveal the character and the nature of God in the world. And it's only a revelation of the character and the nature of God to a needy world that is going to draw the world to God. It's not your words. It doesn't matter how persuasive you are. It's your lifestyle. What you are speaks so loud that the world can't even hear what you say. When you get there on Monday mornings and everybody else is having a blue Monday, but you never have a blue Monday, your Mondays are always gold. 
You're always on top of everything. Your disposition is always positive, and it doesn't make any difference how challenged you may be. But it doesn't make any difference because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. The steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord, and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort, uh, they, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy, right in the valley of death. I've got a table spread before me, and I sit and I munch. I'm not under any pressure. I chill. Come on now. See? Now, thank you. Have a look there at verse 14, your Romans chapter 8. See, because we, we, we want these things. How many of you agree we want these things? Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And the word sons there is, believe it or not, quios. You've got to grow up to be able to hear the voice of the Spirit. If you want God to lead you and guide you, you have to mature. You've got to learn to handle this life and start living it. That's when God leads you. But when you're having to have everybody else do your praying for you all the time, when you've always got to be encouraged in your walk every day, you're a baby. Then we've got to treat you like a baby. But then don't expect a whole lot of things that speak of maturity. And so an indication that you are an adult son of God is that you're going to be led by the Spirit of God. And I believe that the church is full of religious flakes. People who really want to be the genuine article but aren't. Let me ask you a question. What is the phrase that is the most commonly heard in charismaniac circles? No, I'll tell you what it is. No, I'll praise the Lord. That's always good. The Lord told me. The Lord told me. And you think that by prefacing your remark with the Lord told me, that immediately takes it out of the realm of discussion. Now, it might with everybody else, but it doesn't with me, if you've asked me to pastor you. Because if you come to me and you say, the Lord told me, and I think that you're talking bull, I'm going to say, you're talking bull, go and pray. Am I allowed to say bull? That's okay. Some people are saying. Listen to me. I, I haven't got time to, to waste with nonsense. If you want to waste 14 years of your life by going around that mountain again, that's your baby. But you've come to me for counsel, and if I think you're talking nonsense, I'm going to say, you're talking nonsense. That is not God speaking to you. I might say it to you in, in a nicer form, but if, you, if you've got a reputation for doing it this way, I'm going to speak really, really strongly to you. So, so having just said that, nobody will come back to me with that. <laughs> this is the way I eliminate my, I just shorten my workload in the week. I do. Because you see, somebody's got to speak sense into the situation, folks. There's so many people, the Lord told me this, and the Lord told me that, and the Lord told Rubbish. Rubbish. God does speak all the time. But God, I didn't, I didn't meditate this morning. Father, what should I wear this morning? The Lord told, uh, rubbish. 
I just felt impressed by the Lord to wear this tie. Rubbish! You silly thing, you. Wake up, man. Turn over, smack that diaper. Um, I, you see, this, but that's what wastes our time. That's what wastes our time. Then you want to go, and God is not going to give you the power that's going to take the world when you're still a baby like that. The Lord told me, and God wasn't, and I want to tell you right now, the Lord showed me something. He did. You're taking the name of the Lord, you're taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. You're trying to, by using that, you're trying to get your own will done. Be very careful. Make sure that when you say, the Lord told me, he did, he did tell you. And the Lord did tell me that because I was meditating on this. I said, what's the problem here, God, apart from babyhood? And that's what he showed me. Be very careful. Be very careful. Don't say the Lord told you and the God had nothing to do with it because you want to do something. Now, being led by the Spirit is twofold. There are two things about it. Number one, it's receiving instruction from God. And number two, it's fulfilling the will of God. In other words, what he tells us to do. It's not just fulfilling it, the doing of it, but it's doing it in the spirit or the character of Jesus. Exactly the way that Jesus would do it. If it's going to be a burden to you, your attitude's wrong. You're not fulfilling it in the character of Jesus. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's the purpose that I'm here for, says Jesus. That's, that's why I'm here. Why are you here in the earth? But you see, if you say, I own the lordship of Jesus, it means he's head honcho. He's, he's number one. There is nobody above him. He can call the shots in your life anytime. Can he really do that? If he tells you tomorrow to move at a 90 degree angle from the way that you've been moving down, down the road of life, are you prepared to do it? Irrespective of the cost. You see, this is, this is where the challenge comes in. Because too many Christians today are following Jesus for the bread and the fishes, what he can produce. Spiritual bums. Yeah, no, they are. Not, not followers. That's why Jesus had to speak those strong words in John chapter 6. And he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. And from that day onwards, many who followed him, followed him no more. Jesus didn't have masses following him because they loved Jesus. They wanted to see the miracles. They wanted the signs and wonders. They wanted the bread and the fish multiplied. They wanted to be there to say, I saw it, I saw it, I saw it. But having seen it, how did it impact your life? See, the Christian life, I believe, should be a life that's characterized by the miraculous. I believe you should have miracles working all the time. To us, it shouldn't be miraculous. It should be the mundane. Our expectation of God should be that high. And I believe there's a time we can come to that. But it requires maturity, where we start seeing right through the situations of life, flimsy as they are. Because most of us think that they're pretty substantial. And they're not. They're flimsy. And we look right through them and see exactly God's purpose and God's desire in the situation. And God will move in there. But He moves in with the people who can see what His purpose and plan is and speak it into existence and bring it about. And we're not deterred by what man says. See? Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 tells us that God, God's purpose for us is that we be conformed to the image of Jesus. 
And I believe that God wants all of His children to undergo this transformational process, see, of being conformed to the image of Jesus, to look just like Jesus. And it's not a case of something that's outward. It's something that's inward. It's having the character and the nature of God in manifestation. Now, we're going to see in a minute that in actual fact, we're, we're more... Um, I want to be careful how, uh, how I divide this. But maybe we're more than halfway there. Maybe we're more than halfway there. Let me just deal with one, one other question. I want you to go to Galatians quickly, because I'm dealing here with sonship. All right? And this has produced some misunderstandings in the body of Christ. If there's, a, if there's a scripture that has been misquoted, it is this one here. I'm reading from Galatians chapter 4, starting to read at verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child. Now the word child there in the Greek is nepios. Nepios is a baby who is not yet speaking. Okay? So while the, the heir, so he's heir to everything that his father's got. He might be an only child. He's an heir, but... As an heir, he is still nepios. He is not yet able to communicate. He hasn't reached the stage of growth where he can even speak and articulate his feelings. All right? He that is, uh, as long as he is a child, nepios, differs nothing from the servant, though he in actual fact is lord over everything because he's the heir. But he is under, watch this, Tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Which father? His natural father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of this world. And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Watch this next phrase. That we might receive the adoption of sons. Now let me clarify this for you. Because there's been weird teaching about this adoption business. You see, our teaching gets weird because we use a Western mind to try and understand what took place in an Eastern situation. Adoption to us today means taking somebody outside of our natural family and adding them to the family and making them a member of the family through legal means. But throughout the New Testament, the word adoption referred, listen, to the action of parents who adopted their own children into the family. You say, but that's crazy. Because you see, you're still using a Western mind. The word adoption is the word in the Greek, huiothesia. And, and it basically means son placing. Better still, adult son placing. Let me help you understand it. It referred to a ceremony in which a minor son, born naturally into the family, was formally initiated into full family status by being invested with the rights and the privileges of adulthood. So in the Greek, we don't have an image of taking children from outside the family and bringing him into, into the family by legal recourse. Rather, it is recognizing that through 
tutoring and training and governing the child's life, a measure of maturity has been gained and the already member of the family, although he's a minor, has grown and now he is being recognized as an adult by his parents. And now he has conferred on him the full rights of sonship. Until the time that that happens, here he is walking around through life. When you start reading about garments, outer garments, and you're talking about Israel, the garment was representative of the individual. You could stand in society and you could see just by the way the garments that people were wearing how they wore them, and what they wore. You could tell whether he was a rich man or a poor man. You could tell, in actual fact, what his station in life was. So this child, until it had reached maturity, wore a garment that spoke of the fact that this is still a minor, and he is not yet responsible for his own actions or decisions. Okay? When he reached maturity, when he had shown growth and he satisfied the father that he now was ready to take his place in the family, his cloak of childhood was stripped from him and formerly he, had, he was vested with a cloak of manhood. Toga virilis was the name of the ceremony that was performed. And it was done in the family, where having been a baby in the family, he now was recognized as having come into adult maturehood, and he has full right and full privilege in the family as an adult member of the family. That's what Paul is writing about. And this is why God is so intent on us getting an understanding of coming to maturity. Some people have been uh, walking the road with the Lord for years and have never come to maturity. Still babies, still got to be prayed for, still got to be cared for, still got to be birthed, still got to have their diapers changed, still got to have a pacifier. After all these years, you've still got the cloak of babyhood on you. You look just like Andy. See? And that is nepios, and that is technon. That is not huios, despite years with the Lord. What Andy portrayed, now this isn't his case, this isn't him, but what he portrayed there, 25 years in the Lord, he hasn't displayed 25 years growth, he's displayed one year's growth 25 times. Hasn't grown above one year. And a lot of Christians are in that position. Here are some statements. We've got a minute or two. So here are a couple of statements that I want to give you. I know we'll use this as a foundation perhaps for next week, but here it goes. Number one, anointing comes out of character. Anointing comes out of character. Anointing is what? Anointing is the approval of God. God puts His approval on something through anointing it, providing His enablement. Okay? He's got a purpose and a plan. He doesn't put you out there without anointing. But listen to me. He doesn't put you out there until you're ready to be able to handle the anointing. So that means you've got to mature. You've got to grow up. He wants you. And and anointing comes out of character. It's who I am. And I want to flash across in your mind and just plant the seed because, you see, we don't understand 
that it already is 50% of the way done with us. When God came to live on the inside of you, did He come and live on the inside of you entirely or just partially? You see, the character that you and I are going to develop, we develop because it's already in us. The seeds are in there. He came in and brought His character and His nature on the inside of you. And we find that in Galatians 5.22. Now, the, the fruit of the recreated human spirit. God doesn't have these. I'm going to deal with this next week more. But God doesn't have fruit. God is it. Well, you say, because you see, you're thinking that there are nine fruits. They're not. There's one fruit. Here it comes. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Period. Period. God is love. So when He comes and lives on the inside of you, Romans 5, 5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to tell you right now that we've missed it, guys. We've missed it hugely. God does nothing in the earth without purpose. We start off back there, Azusa Street, early 1900s, and God moves. But people wanted to move away from Azusa Street because it didn't meet with their denominational persuasion. Didn't check it out to see whether it was God or not. But here we got Azusa Street modeled for us. God's not showing us that for nothing. That's where you've got to live and grow in that. So I add it to me. I don't use it as a foundation, and then when something new comes along, throw it out. I build that into my life as foundation. When God starts moving with healings and wonders and signs in the 40s and the 50s through some of the great men who were real fallible in many areas, but God anointed them. What was God doing? He's showing that He can take anybody and work through anybody and we say well father I'm available just like they were I don't believe that that was what, what was, was what he was wanting to do he was wanting to model for us what he will do in a new way with anybody who's available but build that truth in God wants to move that way don't put it back there 40 50 years ago it's today God God doesn't live in a day time and then of course right after that we got into something else which we've skipped right over and then we after that came word and faith and everybody got into word and faith and then they go it's all the all the perversions and they threw it out and you were wrong you've got to build in the azusa street experience You've got to build in healing and deliverance and the power of God in mighty manifestation. You've got to build in word and faith. These are the foundations on which we build in the future. We never throw out what God has done. We build it into us so that we become complete and fully rounded out. We don't walk through life lopsided because we've embraced something more than something else. We've discarded some stuff that God wanted us to embrace. And I want you to know, I believe that we've lost one of the major keys. I'm believing God's going to bring it back. I was there in the 60s and the 70s. I was there. When God did phenomenal things. And in this country, and this country was the leading country across the world. We're one way, Jesus way, the Jesus generation. And I'll tell you what characterized that. Something which we've got to get back. Love. It was simple. And it was love. Had no agenda. Nobody had... Recording contracts lined up for them. 
Nobody did anything other than God gave me a song and here it is. And they brought it forth and it was brought forth primarily in music and it was just love. And they didn't have great testaments. They had probably very little doctrine. Um, they, they, all, all they knew was once I was blind but now I see. And the other thing that they knew was Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And I want you to know something. I want you to hear me young people. There were no rehabilitation homes in those days. We didn't have homes that send, we sent people to who were drug addicts. We didn't have them. But I'll tell you what happened. When they really met Jesus, they got delivered like that. They got delivered like that. And we have not, we, we've lost that love. We've lost that love that enables me to love just because God's inside me and I can't help but love. We've lost it. We talk about it. But we've lost it. And out of that character that already has the seeds on the inside of you because God is resident within you, believer, listen, will come the character and out of that character comes the anointing and you won't even know that it's working you won't even know that it's working we need to get character back we need to develop character characters who I am and I am love I'm able to transcend anything any situation with love I'm able to love anybody irrespective of who they are despite what they look like, smell like, how they react or do not react. I'm able to look at them with the eyes of Jesus and love them. We've got to get back to that. Because otherwise our religion is vain. It's vain. Take the hand of the person next to you. Father, by your Spirit, cause your love to flow out of us. That love can only come from a meaningful relationship with you. And where we've been derelict in our responsibility, forgive us. Where we've been negligent, where we've put other things as priorities, forgive us. Because until we know you, you who are love, we never can give away what we've never experienced. And yes, we've experienced your love for ourselves, but your word says that that's alive on the inside of us. It's been shed abroad. Oh, Father, we pray that you'll bring us to a place where we have meaningful fellowship with you. Meaningful fellowship. Everyone, some of us are young in you. Some of us are more advanced in years in you. Oh, we pray that we will be finished with low living. We'll be finished with the things that would keep us in babyhood. We'll be prepared to deal with them and we'll be prepared to grow up. Because we want your life to flow through us and touch the lives of others. Pray for the person whose hand we're holding. Jesus, we believe that you've made a deposit in their lives that is life-transforming. 
thank you for the joy of knowing you. Thank you that that life is something that the world is hungry for. Let it just flow out of us as a consequence of our fellowship, not because we're trying to make it happen, because then they're going to read through, through it. I pray for, the, for this person. Help them, Father, to draw closer and closer and closer to you experientially. This week, let this become a reality in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God bless you.